Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. Thanks again for coming back with us. Joe and Julie here to tell you what we've read, talk about what we've read, find out what we should be reading, etc., etc. And we realized that we have been doing this for a whole year this weekend, celebrating our one-year anniversary of Paperback Readers. Not consecutively. I mean, you know, we we haven't (laughs) uh, engaged in a promotional, we will talk until you listen style thing, which could be coming next, though. No, I'm kidding. But it's been a really fun year. It really has for something that just came out of, like, why don't we do this? And we've done it, and uh, it's netted us some cool books to read, if nothing else. It really has. We have completely loved hearing from all of you who have emailed us or messaged us or um, seen us out and let us know things that you thought we ought to read. It's It's been really fun to connect with all of you all, but it's also been really, really fun to read as much together mm-hmm. as we have done over the past year. We have always been in the habit of, oh, you'd love this and just trading books, but this has been a more disciplined Every two weeks, we're reading something together, and that has been super fun. Yeah, it really has. For two introverted people in the middle of a health pandemic, this has been a bizarrely uh, social enterprise. So, so thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in, for um, letting us know what you thought, just being here with us. Okay, Joe, tell us what you have been reading over these past two weeks. Well, a couple of things. I can finally report on the presidential biography front. I have made some progress. I kept telling people I was making some progress. Yeah, you've been working on this one forever. Um, But yeah, I I really was. It was uh, John Quincy Adams. James Traub, I believe, is his name. I'm trying to pull the info up, but I can't do it. But uh, John Quincy Adams uh, finally finished it. And I'm going to say a couple of things that seem contradictory. It was a very good biography. It also became my absolute go-to jam to read at night to put me to sleep. So, uh, you know, Adams is probably the first, like, non-famous president that we've hit so far. Uh, kind of a cantankerous guy. Gets that uh, probably honestly from, from his, his old father. man. Yeah. But but without his father's kind of joy de vie, uh, you know, he... he uh, is a little more of a curmudgeon, a little more of a stick in the mud. But the the thing about Adams, who was not a particularly successful president, is he has one of the great last acts in American history. And, and America loves these stories. After his presidency, rather than go home to Massachusetts and sit around and wait to die, he eventually gets himself elected to Congress. And once in Congress, wow. oh, he takes up anti-slavery causes with great fervor, the kind of fervor that would have made his father proud. Uh, And and essentially, that's how he spends his days. He literally collapses on the House floor one day, and and that's the end for him. But he fights it, he fights it, he fights it. There is a gag rule in place. You can't even discuss slavery. Hmm. And he gets the gag rule beaten. Uh, Sounds like a really, like, I had never thought about him as even possibly being interesting, but that sounds like an interesting story. He really is interesting. I mean, his uh, very distant relationship with his wife. Funny enough, his wife was very close to John Adams. He really took to her, Mrs. J.Q. Adams. She was kind of scared to death of Abigail, (laughs) so, you know, make what you will of that. But that was one of the interesting little subplots of, of the book. Um, their marriage was an unusual one. He would be gone for long, long stretches of time. He would send her, you know, take the kids and go off here. And you could tell from her diary, she didn't really want to go there, but she did what she was supposed to do. They really grew close in their old age. 
Well, have you picked out, are there multiple Yes, J Andrew Jackson next. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be American Lion by John Meacham. Okay. I already have the book. Um, looking forward to that. A, a little more of a bombastic personality. But Trop did a good job with Adams. It's a very long book. It's it's not a page turner per se because it took me forever. But but it was a good uh, read and and an interesting one. So excellent. Uh, thumbs up on it. Um, the other things that I managed to page through. Let me find the exact title. It's called Dylan the Biography by Dennis McDougal. Um, can't give it thumbs up. Uh, Why I, not? I just went through this because it popped up on my audio thing. Uh, I read a million Dylan books. <laughs> this is the <laughs> kind you, of... you dislike, you know, 900,000 of them. Yeah, I really do. Uh, this is the kind of book that gives Dylan Biography a bad name. Not that it's wrong all that much is that it's lazy. He mm -hmm. relies on everybody else who's written the same half-truths. And the thing about Dylan is he's probably a compulsive liar. You can't believe him about anything. But my favorite part of the whole thing, just in terms of logical inconsistency. So Dylan wrote Chronicles, mm -hmm. which is this quote-unquote memoir. We've that, mentioned it before. We've yeah, recommended it. We love it's, it. It's a phenomenal book. Now, two things I would say about Chronicles. One, the contention I've read that everything in there is a complete and utter lie is wrong. Right. You could not write that well about something you completely made up. Right. Unless you were the greatest novelist ever, and maybe he is. Who Possible. knows? But, point two, nothing in there is literally factually right. I think that's also true. I, I can see that. And, and this contradiction is very typical for Bob Dylan. Our cat comes running through batting a play mouse. But Go ahead. Anyway, um... So McDougal does the thing that always fascinates me and that he says, well, you can't trust Chronicles. And then he proceeds to go into a long story <laughs> in which he takes Chronicles as literal factual truth. And I'm like, neither of these are valid points. Everything in there has some truth in it. Nothing in there should be taken as, well, Dylan says here that in 1987 he did this. I'm like, he probably never did that or he did that in 1984 or something else. It so. just brings me back to my official stance on anything written about Bob Dylan. If you don't know 100% what you're talking about, sit down and be quiet because the only people reading this book are well. people who <laughs> know possibly more than you do. So Yeah, yeah, scary but true. So, you know, it, it was a decent read. It's just there's better stuff out there. And still the ultimate Bob Dylan biography has yet to be written. You never know. Maybe it's by you. <laughs> it will not be. I would get even more wrong. But anyway, the uh, another thing I read, and this was an unusual book, and it has a subtitle so long I can't even get it all on my screen, but it's How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius, What Game Designers, Economists, Ballet Choreographers, and Theoretical Astrophysicists Reveal About, and that's where the subtitle cuts off. That's a but, long subtitle. Uh, written by Nick Green. But the point of it was to look at basketball kind of through a fresh lens. Nick Green talked to all of these people about how basketball was relevant to what they do. And, you know, he's talking about... So he, he could have done without any subtitle at all. He really could have. Okay, go ahead. He, he, he talks about, you know, mid-air gymnastics a la Michael Jordan with ballet choreographers. He, he goes into a long <laughs> thing about could Barishnikov dunk. That was one of his uh, fascinations. I mean, it's the kind of book that kind of straddles the 
do I really care with the, this is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it so, sounds really fresh and creative. I yeah, like that. Yeah, I give him credit for writing a very different book. Again, there were times where I was like, we're getting a little far afield here. <laughs> Some of the more fascinating parts for me were when he talked about rules, and he talked about the rules of basketball and the way it was set up all the way back to its inception. And he talked about it with game designers. You know, when you make a game, what if you have this problem? How do you handle this? Mm-hmm. Uh, to see the way that basketball has grown and adapted. So yeah, it was. It was a fresh, different kind of read. And, and for a guy who reads a lot of sports books, it was fun to do something that was a little bit out of the ordinary. Yeah, I love that. That sounds great. Well, other than our shared read, that's my list this go around. So hop in. Okay. My first one was a reread. It was Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. And at this point, I feel like I reread that book once a year, probably. Um, Shauna Nequist is one of my favorite authors, There's no way I haven't already mentioned her on this podcast in the past year. Um, But Present Over Perfect is one of my favorite of her books. What she does, she's an essay writer. So she'll have a theme and then she writes all kinds of essays about this. And Present Over Perfect was inspired by her desire to stop tearing through her life, prioritize the things that are important, and then be present with those things. Um, and this really resonated with you as an Enneagram one. You've got yeah, that same perfectionist drive. That to... perfectionist thing. Um, she's an Enneagram seven, which means that when she's not healthy, she leans to the one right, side. And the right. idea to just like be, get everything right. And I think, I, I know that men have that too, but I think that it is especially strong in women, the idea that we have to do everything and then we have to do it all really, really well. And the spirit of competition sometimes that gets into us and comparison. It's really, if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, it can all get overwhelming. And um, you can feel like you're messing up every single thing in the world. So I reread Present Over Perfect at least once a year to help me get centered again, to remember where the important things in my life are and where I really want my attention to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why that I feel like it was especially useful for me at the end of this summer. I think it's because I read it in connection with the next book that I'm going to talk about. And books are especially resonant when you're reading them, when you're reading them with a book they sing harmony with. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. And when the two of them fit together, like the next one I'm going to talk about does, it just, it sings in a different way to you. And I found Present Over Perfect to mean a lot to me about... um, letting go of the expectations that I had set on myself and really trying to recognize the fact that nobody else has these kinds of expectations for me. I'm the one who's doing all of this to myself. So it was really useful. Um, It helped me end the summer really peacefully, and it gave me some good practices to remind myself when I feel myself getting too crazy, too rushed, too out of control. Good to have a comfort read like that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, it's not. It's not exceptionally a comfort read. Is it's pretty challenging, but right. Um, it's it's useful, and I love it. If you've never read anything by Shauna Nequist, that's a great place to start. I love her book Bread and Wine, also um, about food. Oh, I love anything about food. So um, <laughs> those are good places. Um, the one that I read right along with Present Over Perfect. I always like to have fiction and nonfiction at the same time. I read Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. And we did an episode of the podcast. I don't know which number it was. On Jaber Crow, mm-hmm. we love Wendell Berry. That was our first Wendell Berry for both of us. Yeah. And Hannah Coulter was what I wanted to follow it with. It worked so well with Present Over Perfect. Berry is such a contemplative writer. Um, and like Jaber Crow, Hannah Coulter dealt with the idea of home, how home affects our identity, um, how we let that affect us, and kind of like 
what does it do to us when we break away from those pieces of ourselves that were forged in childhood? Mm-hmm. Jaber Crow kind of looked at the good ways that that can happen. Yeah. His childhood was very rough. Hannah Coulter looks at the ways that that can be damaging sometimes to totally reject home, to take that out of yourself. And how do you hang on to those pieces um, in a changing world? I love the way Wendell Berry writes about home. I love the way that he writes about community because one of the things that Hannah Coulter returns to again and again is what she calls the membership. And it's the people that make up the community that are family, whether they're blood related or not, Mm -hmm. and the way they all fit together and the way that where we live and who we live with, it shapes our identity in such powerful ways. And the ways that we love each other, for good or for bad, also yeah. shape our identity. And the, these characters inhabit the same fictional world as Yes, in they're Jaber all Crow. there um, in, in that same little town in Kentucky. Yeah, Port, Crow Port is Royal? Is Port that William. Port William. And Jaber Crow is mentioned in the story. I mean, this is... If you've read Jaber Crow, Burley Coulter is a big character in there. And, of course, right. Coulter, he's here related to Hannah's yeah. family. So um, that's really fun, too, just reading about a family and a whole community and seeing how all those pieces spiral out. Um, Hannah Coulter is much shorter than Jaber Crow. So if you're not really sure you want to jump into the big book of Jaber Crow, this might be a good place to start. Again, contemplative. I told you partway through it didn't seem like anything really happened. It was more Hannah telling her story mm-hmm. for most of it. There were scenes of action, but most of it um, was was her talking and ruminating. So keep that in mind if you're considering picking up Wendell Berry. Sure. Then I read Float Plan by Trish Dollar, which was a um, really super light summary read. Um, the main character in this story sets out on a boat trip through the Caribbean after tragic circumstances. She and her boyfriend had planned this trip together, but then he commits suicide. And she decides to take the boat trip on her own that they had planned to take. And then at the end of it, they were going to get married. Um, She starts out in a lot of grief, doesn't make great decisions, realizes that she doesn't know anything about sailing a boat through the Caribbean. So she hires um, a man to come on board and help her sail this boat and of course, healing comes for her, and romance ensues. So <laughs> it was it was just a, a light, nice read, but also had some fairly serious and important things to say about grief in that process. Sure. Okay, that's all I got this week, except for our shared read. And light and funny, I can't say it was. But no, but uh, the float plan was a really nice read to go with alongside this book we're about to talk about because it was definitely yeah that was a heavy book. Yeah, this was a book that. Uh, when it came out, I looked at it and thought, ooh, and then I thought, not yet. And then I got it, and I read it, and it was fascinating, but there's still a part of me that would have said not yet. But Yeah, I'm not sure I was totally ready for it either, but I'm glad I read it. The Premonition, A, a pandemic, pandemic Story by Michael Lewis. Um, we've talked about Michael Lewis's stuff before. He, oh, yeah, you read um, Moneyball with Natalie. Right. Uh, so many Good books, and, and Michael Lewis seems to know most of the fascinating people in the world, and it feels like his books kind of organically happen when one of his fascinating friends is like, you know, Michael, you could write about this. And he's <laughs> like, by Jove, I could. Uh, because, you know, Moneyball, The Blind Side is his other sports-related thing. Um, you know, big movie with Sandra Bullock and, and uh-huh. you know, all of those people. Um, my Dark Horse favorite uh, Michael Lewis book is called Losers, which is about the 1996 
Republican presidential field. Um, he that was Clinton's second term, so the title comes from the fact that whoever won the nomination was probably going to get thumped, and indeed did in the election. But he kind of goes through and, and gives you some real insight into everybody. But he picks this little like nobody guy who gets you know ten thousand votes, and that's kind of his main character he follows. And, and the guy's fascinating. That's by far the most interesting part of the story. But, you know, I don't think anybody really reads that one, but it's a lot of fun. Um, oh, he's got amazing books. Um, uh, the way that he centers all of them in story, mm -hmm. I think, is what makes them so popular. We're going to talk about that some more. But give us a summary of this one. Well, The Premonition is about the pandemic. And the first half of the book is all really before the pandemic. It's setting the stage by telling you who these main players are, who he kind of follows around. Uh, and, you know, the, the lead up of how they, they got interested. I mean, with, with, I think the first guy in the book, it's his daughter's school science project. Yes. Yes. And they build a better model for how disease would be transmitted in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, and they look at all the social relationships yeah, and how distancing yeah might be such an important thing. and Well, and it should sound internal alarm bells for everybody that one of the guiding documents of this came out of a guy sitting down with his daughter to work on her school science project. Uh, and that's a theme that comes up in the book many, many times. Obviously, without indicting anyone in particular, I think it's safe to say, you know, as a civilization, we were vastly unprepared for this. And the people that Lewis follows in the premonition are more prepared for it than most. They tend to be thinkers. They tend to be people who look at data a lot and draw conclusions and, you know. Right, but they were not always, I mean, they weren't people at the CDC for the no, most part. No, they, they they're not insiders. Were, you know, high up in public health. Yeah, and, and you know, in fact, the... The character who I would consider the hero of the book is, is just kind of on the edge of everything throughout. I, I mean, you know, this is not an insider. This is not an insider's friend. I mean, this is somebody who, who is really on the outside of all of this. And the frustrating thing for all of these thinkers is they realize what's going on much quicker than anybody else. And they have ideas, they have policies, they have breakthroughs that could, and in some cases did, save thousands of tens of thousands of lives. And in other cases, we're totally ignored right. because experts believe that they can be the only ones who are experts. I think that's my favorite thing about this book, the idea that they were... Many of these people worked for free. Yeah. They didn't um, do things to try to save the country because they were being paid for it, because it was their job. It was because they could see this coming, and they said, I have the skills to do this. I see what's happening. How can I help? And experts said, you can't get out. And they said... Yeah, we'll do it anyway. You're right. And and in a pandemic of this nature that we're still in now, I just can't imagine how much worse it would have been without their help. Well, and I mean that's heroism. You know, yes. that's that's what we should aspire to. And it's funny to me. I thought early in this book I found myself thinking about history and health classes before. You remember the names of Reed and Lazier? No. Reed and Lazier are the guys who created the breakthrough vaccine on malaria, mm -hmm. and they died for it. They essentially uh, tested it on themselves, and, and they both died. But I remembered in one of those old books seeing a song 
that somebody had written that was a popular song. And I remember the end of the song was, if you're looking for heroes for men to cheer, then look to Jesse Reed in Lazier. And I'm like, how much has the world changed? You know, that, that we, we don't have a lot of heroes out of this pandemic. Uh, but the people we in this book arguably heroes, are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there are some, but you're not hearing their names. Right. We right. don't know about them because, again, they they're they're not recognized by the experts always, or they were recognized by them, but way too late. Once they were proven right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, um, it's not really a political book. No, if that's what you're thinking. That uh, you said from what you've read, Michael Lewis is probably. Um, a little right of center. Well, again, Losers was, was about the Republican Party. That yeah. was a pet project for him, and, and he did that. So, but he know. does not, this is not political whatsoever. This is a very, um, a very readable scientific book explaining, you know, what happens and how these things can be recognized and how diseases work, how contagion spreads. Um, freaky, honestly, sometimes when you think about how close everybody is every day to the edge of oh, sure. insanity. Sure. Well, and, and I felt like in reading Lewis's book and in, in reading the thoughts of, of these various people, what largely came up is the old aphorism that those who don't learn history or remember history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic is talked about a lot in here just yes. because it was really the only touchstone these people could go to. And there's to, so much to, to learn from it. Yeah, and we're still learning from it. Yes, So exactly. I think this will be a book that, God willing, in a few years when this is something we can sit down and look at disinterestedly and academically and say, where did we go wrong? What could we learn from this to do better next time? Yes. And I think that's the premise that these people dedicate their work to. And I think in many ways that Michael Lewis as a writer dedicates himself to. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I liked this book so much, even though because we're still in it, it was uncomfortable at times to read and a little bit scary. Yeah. But the idea that Michael Lewis approaches this kind of with the question, you know, like a, a curiosity, um, What's the problem? How can we best? And that's what all these people are devoting themselves to as well. What's the problem? And what are possible solutions? And how can we do this together? So it's a scientific book, but it's not a heavy scientific book. No, it's very readable because he centers it all in story. This is all through the stories of individual people. And then he shows how they all link up together. Mm-hmm. And that is cool. Um, as somebody who tends to fly through fiction, like I just ate up the real stories of people. Yeah, and that's largely how, you know, Lewis gets the cachet to, uh, to do this, uh, you know, to, to be able to tie it all in story. Uh, so, you know, an, an interesting book, not a book that everybody's going to want to read, but a book that everybody maybe should. He did all this just really staggering research for this book. Um, and, and he talked to these incredibly fascinating people who are brilliant in the field they were in and brilliant in the fields that they were reaching for. Um, he shows that it's, it's really been a systemic failure, mm-hmm. the, the arrival of this pandemic and the way it was handled. But what stands out is that it's the individuals, you, me, anybody else, has the power to counteract systemic failure as long as we don't throw up our hands and just be like, well, what can I do? Now, obviously, I don't have the scientific knowledge to be able to do the kinds of things the people in this book did. But again, I came away from this thinking all of us have roles to play 
in the systemic failures that happen in our country. And they've happened before, they're happening now, all kinds of systemic failures in all areas. And, and we, as the individuals here who are um, experiencing all of it, are the ones who have to step up in whatever way we can and make the change. Well, it's, yeah, and we've said it's not political. It's not political in the sense that if you're looking for this book to demonize you know, Trump or Biden or Congress or whoever, you're, you're largely going to be disappointed. There's very, very, very little uh, in that regard. And it really points out the government is much more a local matter you know, you and I were talking about this subject yesterday, how in school maybe we're discrediting um, people by by teaching kids that it's, you know, these three branches of government <laughs> and it's the president and it's Congress and it's the Supreme Court. You know, th- those all matter. Those are all important. But your local health official was a lot more important in this than probably any of those big time people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I tended to have the idea that my government was a um, unified whole kind of thing that all work together smoothly, kind of like, you know, the cogs in a machine. But really, it's it's all of those local areas that make the big difference, that keep the whole thing running. And it was just, this book gave me a much more complete picture of what my government is than I had ever realized before. Kind of a horrifying picture, but a picture. So, <laughs> anyway. Well, again, one of the things that comes up several times is, like with the local public health officials, the ones who are inept, messed it all up. And the ones who cared and um, had aims at doing it right made great differences. Yeah. So again, like I said, coming all down to that individual thing. Yeah. Um, we all have responsibility to ourselves, but to each other and to the communities in which we live. We all have roles to play and we need to not be inept at them. Yeah. And that was a big difference. Well, so I would recommend a very good book. Oh, it's excellent. All of his books are good. If you don't want to read about the pandemic and want something lighter, any of the three I named are good. I know I've read some more of his stuff. I'm, I'm struggling to think, and there's one or two on my shelf over there to read. I so. think you've read just about everything he's written. He's written a lot. I, I have read a lot of them. And, you know, the blurb on the back of the book, I don't... Uh, hang on one second. I do have it here. Yeah. I love the blurb on the back, which was, <laughs> I would read an 800-page history of the stapler if he wrote it, from the New York Times Book Review. And I, uh, I kind of feel that way about Michael Lewis, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, Whatever he writes, it's going to be well-researched. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be rooted in stories. You're going to come away having learned something and then with something to take with you and think about in yep. your real life. So if that appeals to you, dig in. And if not, uh, you know, again, plenty of others that, that he's written. Um, next up on our joint reading list, we talked about it, we planned it, we might as well make it official, The Bad Muslim Discount by Syed Masood. I'm so excited. I loved this one so much <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about it while I was reading it, but there's really just too much in it to just give you little bits. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, you have to read the whole thing and then we can talk about it well. Sounds like I'm on the hook for it. Uh, I'm reading The American Lion, I said, and then I've got a couple of other good ones. There, there's a particularly fun one that I'm about halfway through that I know we'll get to next time. So, Meanwhile, as usual, please reach out and get in touch with us. Share your thoughts. Share your recommendations. We love it. You can find us at um, paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com if you want to email us. You can send us a message on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod or on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for a great year. And for goodness sake, keep reading. <laughs> <laughs>